many of us ever know what it is to become the perfect version of ourselves? This is Decoding Superhuman with your host, Boomer Anderson. What's up, guys? It's Boomer Anderson here, your host of the Decoding Superhuman podcast. I want to take the time and say thank you for listening today. Just to recap what this podcast is all about, we look at the world of health. We go all the way out to the fringes and back to the mainstream with an eye on physical and mental performance. I bring on experts to separate true from false and sometimes crap and to give you bite-sized pieces of actionable information which you can use in your everyday life to perform better. Before we get started, let's have a word from today's sponsor. Today's sponsor is the ring on my finger. No, I'm not married yet, and for a long time, I didn't find wearable technology to be particularly useful. Number one was accuracy. 40% accuracy doesn't seem like a very high number to me. And number two was usefulness. Some of the data that these wearables track is not particularly useful for my everyday life. That all changed with the Aura Ring. Addressing accuracy, the Stanford Research Institute tested two Aura Rings in Aura's Kickstarter campaign. Well done. They found that Aura scored a 96% accuracy test compared to a polysomography test when it looks at sleep duration. So you know the accuracy is there. I also find it incredibly useful in my everyday life. It looks at things like sleep stages so I can see my deep, my REM sleep, and the percentages it makes up of my entire sleep duration. It looks at resting heart rate, body temperature, respiratory rate, and outputs all of this into a beautiful, easy-to-use mobile app. And the good news for you guys listening today is that Aura just announced a new ring. The new ring is smaller. It has better battery life, up to seven days. That means you could go for a week without charging it. It has more memory and 10 times more processing power. There are more color options, so you can look at anything from copper, and you can even get a diamond in it. It's better at tracking your activity, and it has wireless charging. New features include the circadian alignment guidance, sleep improvement programs, and on-demand heart rate and heart variability tracking for things like meditation or breathing exercises. Like I said, the new ring's smaller, so it looks more actually like a ring, and it starts from prices of $299. But for you today, if you go to AuraRing.com and use the code BOOMER, you get 10% off. That's almost $30. It's pretty good, and I hope you enjoy. My guest today is Christopher Babayoti. Chris is an author of a book that I enjoyed quite a bit. It's called Farewell Jetlag, Cures from a Flight Attendant. As you may be able to surmise from the title, Chris is a longtime flight attendant for the UK's largest airline. When I was talking to him, he was flying back and forth between the United States, and he does both short-haul and long-haul flights. Chris is also a certified naturopath and operates a clinic in London which helps others, specifically busy business people, say that five times fast, customize healthy lifestyles around their business travel. I enjoyed this conversation a lot, and frankly, it's something I should have had a conversation about 24 months earlier. We talk about the differences between jet stress and jet lag. And if you're not familiar with that first term, we'll get into it in this podcast. We talk about how to cure jet lag, ding, 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 ding. And we talk about Chris's farewell system for curing jet lag. That's farewell spelled P-H-A-R-E. Finally, we get into Chris's top tips when landing to reduce your jet lag. As always, the show notes can be found at decodingsuperhuman.com, and the URL for this one is decodingsuperhuman.com 
backslash no jet stress. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Christopher Babayoti. Chris, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here. You know, I'm so glad to have you. And you're the author of the book, Farewell Jet Lag. And I wanted to talk to you about that today because jet lag is something I'm all too familiar with. And I think so many people listening are, and we, we all hate it. It's that feeling, you know, when you go to bed after a really long day after landing from God knows where, and you wake up feeling refreshed and realize that you've only slept for two hours <laughs> or something similar. So when I saw your book, caught my eye, I read it, and I'm so glad we're able to have this conversation today. It's something that I've um, come to understand and appreciate the, the solution that is more compatible with the life of someone who flies often and frequent because I've flown for the past 19, 20 years for the UK's largest airline. And on long and short haul flights, it's been one of those challenges that doesn't go away. It's an occupational hazard, if you like. And having done it for so long, I found out that the best way to approach it is from a health perspective. And as such, my training as a nutritional therapist, being a frequent flyer, and being a flight attendant for that period of time has, has enabled me to see the challenge from more than one perspective. And it's that perspective that I've put into the book that gives a broad-based, health-centered, lasting solution that anyone can adapt into their life, especially if they're traveling for business, especially if they're traveling because they have purpose and they want to arrive with what I call presence presence of mind to do business, conduct business and be successful, but presence of mind just to enjoy the time that they, you know, they're spending away from home for whatever leisure or pleasurable activity they're actually going to do. So, you know, it works for everyone, but it has to be a focused, systematic method of handling the problem itself. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to delve a couple of, into a couple of questions. Sure. All right. First off, the obvious one. What is jet lag? And then in the book, you talk about something called jet stress. Do you mind defining both of those for us real quick? Sure, not at all. So jet lag is that experience that anyone can have. Uh, as an infrequent flyer, you take off, you're not used to the environment on the plane, you arrive at a location the other side of the world, and your body clock is literally catching up to you. So that's the time lag, the jet lag, as it were. That is an acute condition, quite specifically. When you talk about jet stress, that's something that's more complex. I like to say that it's chronically acute because like the person who is jet lagged, you take off, you arrive, you do your business, you go back, and you don't have the time to adjust that this person who flies infrequently has. You're back on that plane again the following week and the next and the next and the next. So you go from something that is acute immediately to something that's stressful over a long period of time. And it's a kind of like a constant issue that you deal with throughout your flying career. This is what I term as jet stress because it's a stress on the body. It's continual and it has a pattern to it that if not dealt with will lead to a breakdown in health and affect other areas of people's lives. So making that distinction, one is acute and the other is chronically acute and the consequences 
of um, both are not particularly brilliant, but if you have jet stress and you fly quite a lot, then you, know, you need to really take care of that. Otherwise, the consequences can sometimes lead to really, really bad things in terms of health. If you break a circadian rhythm, so to speak, you can end up leading to many different disease states, such as heart disease, which you know, some of us know way too much about. So let's take a little step forward in terms of the current approaches to jet lag. I guess the mainstream approaches to jet lag. When I was the frequent flyer type, I used to use things like melatonin and the occasional, more than occasional, glass of red wine to help control and regulate sleep. Do you mind discussing just sort of the, the problems with kind of the mainstream approaches to jet lag? If, as far as melatonin is concerned, well, the first thing to, this, to understand about melatonin is, is, it is actually a hormone. That means that it doesn't have an organ per se and it works through a biofeedback mechanism within the body. Not only does melatonin do that, but all hormones do that in the body. So this biofeedback mechanism works by understanding how much of a certain one is in the bloodstream and how much, is, how much of another is in the bloodstream. And based on that, more or less is released and is circulated around the body. When a person that flies often ingests melatonin, uh, exogenous melatonin as it's, uh, as it's called, what tends to happen is they upset the balance of the hormones because all hormones work in concert with this biofeedback mechanism. That's not a smart thing to do because a lot of the body's um, signaling systems rest on the amounts of these different hormones existing in the body in the right amount at the right time. So that's one specific thing so, to do. Suffice we, to say, Chris, that things like melatonin also run on the uh, circadian rhythm, so to speak. They do indeed. They do indeed. And this is why people don't necessarily distinguish between east-west travel and north-south travel. When you do east-west travel, you're either chasing the sun or the sun is chasing you. Therefore, the trigger, the signaling impulse that gets melatonin pumping or not pumping around the body as such is influenced. Whereas north-south travel, you know, unless it's real on a really on a diagonal, you're not really going to encounter that much of an imbalance because you're pretty much stay within uh, maybe the, the longitudinal degrees of travel that it doesn't upset it so much. But the other thing about melatonin that's recently come to light is one, there are melatonin receptors all around the body in every single cell of the body. And two, the liver can suffer from melatonin overdose, basically, where the liver cannot break it down well enough or quickly enough. And this causes toxicity, which is challenging to the health. One of the things that people have sought to do in that respect is to provide um, like spray, sprayable melatonin, mm -hmm. which can assist to some point, but at the same time, it's still a hormone, it's in the body, and you're literally upsetting the apple cart, as it were. Do you have the numbers in terms of what's the toxicity level or at what point it becomes toxic? I don't, but I can, I can, I can dig that out for you. I, I think I have this specific papers related to. Maybe that will be something sure. for the show notes, maybe. Yeah, exactly. So what we'll do is we'll link to this paper in particular in the show notes because I know people would find that interesting. But variable melatonin, I, I've seen it, and I know companies like Onnit manufacture it uh, where you can get it in the United States or, frankly, anywhere if you're willing to ship it. Uh, but 
Interesting. Very interesting. Sorry, I cut you off on the melatonin point. So, well, that was pretty much the melatonin point. I mean, the, the second uh, item you mentioned there was um, alcohol, red wine. Well, sleep centers around the world will tell you that the quality of the sleep that you have once you've ingested alcohol is not particularly brilliant. Um, not only um, is it not particularly brilliant, but the quality of deep sleep, that restful sleep that helps you physically recuperate is compromised. And on top of that, not to give the liver a bad rap, but again, if, if, if we're all going around trashing our livers with alcohol, you know, that's going to give way. And, it's, you know, there, are, there is antisocial behavior that's associated with them being too much um, on the red wine, not to speak of your teeth and, and how red they're going to get. But the whole idea is that you cannot sustain this. It becomes something that causes your body to run on its emergency reserves. And that ultimately leads down to adrenal fatigue, which is something I see all too often in flyers who are either using melatonin, using beta blockers um, or uppers or you know, stimulants or alcohol. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I reached out to you is that point you made earlier about switching from a short-term view to a long-term view. And that's exactly what we try to do here in our practice is take people's health views from short-term, I want to lose weight to long-term, how do I become the best performer possible? Let's, let's go into that long-term view. Let's say I'm Johnny Banker, I'm Johnny Lawyer or Lisa Lawyer. What would you consider the optimal jet lag, jet stress strategy? In the book, you talk about something called the farewell system. The farewell system is specifically a six-step system. And farewell is spelt P-H-A-R-E and well. And those are the six steps, which are protection, hydration, acclimatization, your rhythms, environments, and wellness. These are the six steps to master. Protection is protecting yourself from principally ionizing radiation, mm -hmm. which is what you find when you step on an aircraft and you're at 36,000 feet. It's also protection from the environment in the aircraft because the aircraft is the altitude is raised to the altitude of being on Mount Everest at base camp, 8,000 feet, typically. It's not an environment that's superfluous with a lot of oxygen. Mm -hmm. Having that understanding can help people plan ahead as to the kind of shape they need to be in, whether it's um, in, you know, increasing their VO2 max or whatever step they need to take in terms of fitness so that they utilize their oxygen a hell of a lot better altitude it might mean they might use supplements specifically that help people chelate radiation metabolites out of the body and they do this as a regular part of their diet as they take to the skies week in week out they might do a detox a clay fast they might use tools like that or specific supplements protecting themselves from the environment the radiation and the environment on the aircraft is vital. So just real quick on prote protection before we yeah. move on. Uh, so you mentioned a couple of things that, and just, I want to give the audience just a couple of tips, uh, just in case, just a couple of key takeaways. Sure. Uh, if I am going back to the analogy of Lisa Lawyer and I travel every single week, changing time zones twice a week. It suffice to say, you mentioned VO2 max. Would it, involving some aerobic exercise every week be useful to the Lisa in this case? 
anyone who's out there hitting the road hard and doing two times a week, that's definitely something that I would recommend. Literally understanding, for instance, the, the use of the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve, which is the 10th cranial sacral nerve, is one of those nerves that allows the body to relax and helps you get decent amounts of sleep but it can be monitored or toned, as it were, by understanding how to breathe properly. Oh, diaphrag diaphragmatic breathing. Are we going to talk about this? It could be diaphragmatic breathing. It could, but the more important thing is the ratio. You breathe out to the count of six, but into the count of four. Mm -hmm. And that ratio, some people do it five to seven, but that kind of ratio is what helps you tone the vagus nerve. And that enables you to breathe better and you become better oxygenated by doing something like that. Do we want to move on now to part, uh, well, I guess it would be the H. Hydration. Hydration is H2O. It's not red right. wine, right? It's not red wine. Okay. It's not red wine. Hydrogen is the foundation of hydration. As well as it being the most abundant molecule in the, in the, in the universe, it's the key to us unlocking hydration for us so the more hydrogen that we can take on and we're exposed to cosmic radiation through the act of flying, the potential is, is that we are more protected. And this is not something to take at face value. Uh, NASA did some studies where they wanted to simulate a manned mission to Mars. And they had concerns about the solar storms that would invariably disrupt the journey from Earth to Mars. And one of the things they decided to do is that they could either build an inner bunker that was protecting the astronauts in the core of the aircraft, or they could impregnate the actual aircraft itself, the spacecraft itself, I should say, with hydrogen because it blocks off initial, uh, I think they've got alpha particles of, of radiation. And even though that hasn't happened yet, it's a fact that the current spacecraft that they send up to the International Space Station incorporates a polymer that's made of hydrogen. So we can piggyback off of that and really realize how important it is to stay hydrated. So once you get over that idea, it then becomes a matter of how do you choose the best hydration tools? Because there is research out there by the likes of Dr. Patrick Flanagan, who sells a proprietary product called Mega Hydrate which mimics glacial runoff water, which is known to be the most structured water known to man. Water's power lies in its ability to conduct electricity because human beings are electrical before they are anything else. Before we were anything else, we were electrical and we built the biochemistry and the mechanical aspects of who we are, or so the saying goes. So understanding that and realizing that if we can empower ourselves electrically, we stand a better chance of flying well throughout the amount of time we fly. In fact, when you take off from the, from the Earth's surface, you kind of shift off the amount of not just grounding, but this, this static, you, you increase, I can't remember, you increase or decrease the static charge that you have on the body. And this is part of that foggy headedness that people have when they arrive at a location. And if you want to get rid of that, being hydrated, being charged electrically, is one of the most powerful ways you can actually do that. So the choices of water, structured water that you put in your body as a flyer getting on a flight or continually, even when you're not flying, help you build up a decent reservoir of electricity and hydration, which serves you throughout the time that you're flying. Okay, so if I'm selecting water, or does the, 
let's take, for example, something that may be commercially available to people. What's a, a brand that you recommend that people drink while they're on board? Or is it, you know, take what you can get? Take what you can get when you can get it, but always upgrade when you can find it. My personal approach is to install a water system at home. Okay. So if I, if I look at hydration here, this is hydration pre-flight. So you have like your Berkeley water filter or something like that. You mentioned increasing the fizz because of the bicarbonate. Now you're on the flight and you'd obviously want to, it sounds like based on what you said, you want to go for the more alkaline water, the better. Is, is that yes. correct? But on, on a flight, you're not necessarily going to find that because yeah, it, the, bottled yeah. water, <laughs> the, bottled water, the bottled water available is whatever I guess the airline can get hold of. Mm -hmm. So my solution to that is that I actually travel with mega hydrates. Okay. And therefore, if you take an airline's water and you take that with them, um, with this, with the uh, mega hydrate, you know you're gonna you're gonna know the difference. It's night and day. Thank you for that. And we'll link, of course, to the mega hydrate in the show notes. Moving on to A, A is climatization, right? Acclimatization. So, if you want to get on local time quickly, adapt to what the locals are doing, because we are creatures of nature and we like to be in harmony. In synchronicity with others therefore it will be easier or quicker for us to entrain our own cycle that's come from london to say hong kong if we go out and do what the locals are doing i wouldn't go from london to san francisco and hide away in my room out of sunlight and daylight and people contact these are all time givers to the human body the californian institute of human science uh, did some experiments where they demonstrate that the body checks for its location, if you were, in space and time every 90 seconds. So when you take chronobiology, which talks about Zeitgebers, German word for time givers, you can literally tell your body what time it is by what you do. The strongest entrainer is light. So if you want to entrain to local time and it's light outside, go outside and be in the light. Your biochemistry changes on a 24-hour cycle. So you can actually use that to your advantage by either maybe uh, eating, which changes your biochemistry, maybe going for a sauna. A lot of these things can be used, or exercise can be used to help you change that biochemistry to suit the agenda that you set for yourself once you have that knowledge. It's a powerful tool that everyone can do, and one of the easiest and quickest ways to do it is actually to go outside, as crazy as it sounds, take your shoes and socks off and ground yourself on the earth because the earth's electromagnetic field provides you with negative ions that normalize the system. Okay. So uh, if just to break that down real quick so that people understand, uh, the concept of earthing is really you're, you're normalizing a system which is more positively charged after you've been traveling or is it the other way around? No, that's correct. Okay. And then if you're going to recommend to a traveler how long they go earthing for, and this may be difficult for some people to do if they're getting off the plane, let's say going into a meeting. But if you have time to go walk in a park, how long do you recommend they do that for? Uh, the, the specific experiments uh, uh, and the, the advice from the guys who set up the experiment is anything between 30 to 45 minutes. But I've known people who've done 20 minutes and can start to feel the difference. I don't step on a plane to go away on a trip without my earthing blanket. 
And and I know personally that I've moved into an apartment or, you know, a new house on a ground floor so that I'd have closer access to earth. Uh, so it's a very valuable thing. And there's a lot of research behind it, which we'll link to in the show notes. Okay, we talked a little bit about acclimatization. And this has a lot to do with the R. And I'm kind of curious about the difference between the what I assume to be R meaning rhythms and acclimatization. Rhythms are shorthand for your circadian rhythms. And I like to choose rhythms to explain it because circadian rhythms are basically rhythms that last about a day. But these aren't the only rhythms that govern our physiology. There are ultradian rhythms, which are shorter than a day. And then there are even longer rhythms that, you know, the lady's monthly cycle, for instance, and, you know, the body renewing different elements or different organs uh, and so on. These are all rhythms that we have in the body. But people tend to look at jet lag in terms of circadian rhythms in and of itself. And that's not, in my opinion and my experience, that is not correct, simply because if you were to find the magic cure to help people adjust circadianly, that doesn't mean they don't get dehydrated. It doesn't mean that adrenal fatigue isn't featured in part of their flying experience. It doesn't mean that insomnia is totally cured because part of the challenge in the emerging picture is also that there are issues of quality of sleep as much as quantity of sleep for a traveler. And as you said, Boomer, at the top of your program, the specific link to sort of like heart disease due to this is totally understated because if we're honest with ourselves, going forward, well, at least in the airline world, it's only now that you have a specific cohort that has flown for a lifetime, come out the other end, and they're seeing that these issues are arising. Mm -hmm. Let's not forget, airline travel is less than a century old. When we want to give people actionable steps to in order to entrain those rhythms as they land. Some of them you touched on a little bit earlier on that acclimatization part, but is there anything in addition you want to add here that people can do? Interesting question. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll come to that in a minute. Um, the, the answer is yes. So thank God for chronobiology. Chronobiology is the study of biological rhythms. In, in terms of jet lag, the last the last marker to be reset once you're deemed to have acclimatized to your local environment is that you have an increase in your base metabolic temperature. Once that has happened, you're deemed acclimatized, i.e. you are officially caught up. You're on local time. There is no more lag. You are in the physical space you're in totally. You can artificially affect that via exercise. You can artificially affect that via far infrared saunas. Wearing the sunglasses to block out the light, that will help you if you want to stay on the time zone that you're from. Typically, uh, I think it's the Edinburgh Sleep Center uh, in the UK. Uh, Dr. Chris Itzikowski mentioned that at 6.30 in the morning or you know, at sunrise, there's a window for you to go outside and absorb the, ri the rising sun. And that specifically is one of those opportunities to reset the body clock. So we're on to the last, well, not the last letter, because afterwards is wellness, but E. Environment. And this is the place where there's more leverage than any of the other steps, as far as I'm concerned, because it's E is for environments. And it's the environment on the plane, which we need a basic understanding of. And then there's the body's biochemistry, which is another environment. And what we put in our bodies via our mouth, 
and on our skin and through our thoughts and mind really makes up how that biochemistry responds to us. 36,000 feet, even though the altitude is pressurized to 8,000 feet, it's not ideal to be consuming that kind of food if you want to arrive well with presence to go about your business. That would be the snapshot of how hostile the environment is to the typical flyer. But because when we take off, it, the, the cabin's not pressurized and the drinks are all there and everything, people just assume that it's okay to indulge. Okay, maybe within reason, but if you're landing and you're purposeful, you don't want to indulge in that so much. You want to be prepared. You want to have things that help you stay hydrated well in that respect. If we understood that what we put in our mouth is so important, we could typically eat a diet that is more alkaline in nature. That would help. And it's kind of that simple, but it means choosing uh, lifestyle choices that enable you to increase the span of your health. A couple of questions for you on, on the food front. Let's just say I've been in a few planes before and the food you get is, how do I say this lightly, garbage. What are some of the strategies that you'd recommend to people? I've heard everything from intermittent fasting, so not eating at all on a plane, to bringing your own food, which seems like the logical candidate. Uh, what sort of strategies do you employ and recommend to your clients? Bog standard, I bring a salad. Because I'm on my feet as much as anything else, I need fuel. So if I have to eat something, I'll choose the best of a bad bunch. Intermittent fasting for someone who's in business, or yeah, that's an easier choice. But then if they're going to do some work for a couple of hours or throughout the flight, I don't know if that helps them keep their energy up. The main thing I would say is to stay hydrated. So the last part, the wellness part. Right. This is kind of a catch-all because... People have different degrees of fitness, and indeed, being able to fly well is predicated on your starting point. And the truth of the matter is, a lot of people are in the air, and they're not necessarily fit to fly. And I don't mean that derogatory or, or in a negative manner. It's but just the truth. It is the truth, yeah, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So getting fit to fly is what's important first. But once you're fit to fly, then you need to fit aspects of your flying program into a system that fits your lifestyle. So it makes sense to either keep tabs on how much radiation you might be exposed to, or if you want to cut to the chase, make sure you do some kind of detox program every once in a while, whether that's an Epsom salt bath or like a clay detox bath or like a juice fast that you know, allows you to detox, whether it includes taking minerals that chelate um, radioactive particles out of the body. What would some of those minerals be? So sodium alginate, which is known to be in seaweed, is quite good. Clays are very specifically quite good. Um, zeolites, but there's you know, quite a few things that people can consider adding into their diet intermittently as they go through the year. If a person travels twice a week, that's really hardcore. How do they make that fit? Well, they look at their lifestyle. They decide what the end goal is. They decide the specifics of what they want in terms of nutrition. And then they find a way to make it fit. Now, coaching helps with that. But ultimately, it's not about being perfect with it to start with. It's about progressing and getting to a point where you have a good enough balance. Because as, as I mentioned, you get on the road and... Your flight's delayed six hours. If you're going to somewhere you haven't been before, 
it might mess up your schedule and you've got to be able to deal with that and still move on. So I find that preparing and being prepared is probably the best defense you can take in that respect. Well, this is a perfect place to wrap up here. I think you've given a lot of great information and strategies to all of the professionals listening here who fly quite a bit. And this information is super useful and something that I wish I had a couple of years ago. One last question. Where can people find out more about you? Or if they wanted to work with you, how do they get in touch? Oh, okay. Uh, well, the, uh, the book that we've been talking about actually has a website of its own. And that is uh, farewelljetlag.com. My website is www.nojetstress.com, as it sounds. And I currently work out of the Light Center in London, uh, which is central London, uh, the Monument Light Center. But I can be contacted at Christopher at nojetstress.com. Awesome, Chris. Well, I want to thank you again for being on the show today. These are extremely useful tips, and I'm really sure that people will find them incredibly powerful in their own lives. So. Thanks again for for joining, Chris, and uh, I wish you an awesome day. And thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you, Boomer. I really appreciate it. Um, And if you've got any follow-ups for me or any specific questions, I'm more than happy to answer. Before you go, I want to say thank you for listening today. Did you like the format of today's conversation? If so, do you mind leaving some comments in the show notes? And I'd also love it if you could go over to iTunes right now and leave a five-star review. It will really help us get the word out on decoding superhuman and precision health. I want to thank you very much for listening today and have an epic day.